This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Great Gildersleeve was a radio situation comedy broadcast in the U.S. from 1941 to 1958. It was one of broadcast history's earliest spin-off programs. The series was built around the character Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, a regular element of Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve enjoyed its greatest popularity in the 1940s. Actor Harold Perry played the character to perfection. Gaining his own show meant, of course, that he had to move the character from the McGee's wistful vista to Summerfield, where Gildersleeve oversees his late brother-in-law's estate and rears his orphaned niece and nephew, Marjorie and Leroy Forrester. The household also includes a cook named Bertie. While Gildersleeve had occasionally mentioned his unseen wife in some of the Fibber episodes, in his own series, he's a confirmed bachelor. At the outset of the series, Gildersleeve administers a girdle manufacturing company. If you want a better corset, of course, it's a Gildersleeve. And later, and during the remainder of the show, he serves as Summerfield's water commissioner. Well, let's check into this next episode, Leroy Runs Away. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> yeah. The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. And now let's visit our friend, the Great Gildersleeve. Tonight we find him celebrating the first of the month in his customary fashion, paying bills, counting out Bertie's salary, and making allowances for Marjorie and Leroy. Oh, Marjorie, uh, Bertie, Leroy. Yes, here I have, Miss Gilsley. Well, such promptness. I'll bet you know what's on my mind. I do. This is the first of the month, and it's pay night for me. Yeah, pay night. That's right. How did you remember? Because I got four or five installment gentlemen who won't let me forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say, we collect our allowances, too, Marjorie. Don't forget, you owe me that 60 cents you borrowed. That was 50 cents. 50 cents on a dime interest, sis. 50 cents, and that's all, brother. Yeah. Gee, I... I was counting on that extra dough. Leroy, you're not in the hawk again, are you? Why, Uncle Mort, I don't know what you mean. Oh, you know, in the red. Oh, that's me you think of, Mr. Gillsleeve. Huh? I'm so deep in the red, my friends have quit calling me Bertie. I'm now known as Robin. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's your salary, Robin. Uh, Reuben. Uh, Bertie. Uh, <laughs> minus the advances I gave you during the past month, of course. Uh, thank you, sir. Mm-mm. I certainly advanced myself to a standstill. Yeah. 
Well, you've got one consolation, Bertie. Uh, February is going to be a short month. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be any short if I stood in a hole, and that's what I was in. <laughs> I hate February anyhow. All I get is Valentine's from the finance company. <laughs> well, here's your monthly allowance, Marjorie. Thank you. And here's yours for the weekly, Roy. Say, why can't I get mine for the whole month like Marge does, Unc? I'm not a kid anymore. How about it, Unc, huh? Well, for the month, huh? Well, we can try it out. Nothing ventured, nothing uh, ventured. <laughs> Yes, here you are. Gee, thanks. And here's something for you. If for me? What's this? My bill for services rendered during January. It's just January, yes. Well, <laughs> let me see. A bill? Stopping at the post office five times at a dime per stop, 50 cents. Uh, going to the store 12 times at five cents per go, 60 cents. <laughs> the three hot dogs for Uncle Mort at the basketball game, 30 cents. Young man, I thought you were treating me. Only the first two times, Unc. After that, it was strictly Dutch. Yeah. Well, you can't beat the Dutch Yes Removing ashes from furnace, 20 cents Spreading ashes on sidewalk, 15 cents for labor, 10 cents for ashes My ashes, too (laughs) Rental of my bike to Uncle Mort, 10 cents Repairing bent frame, 95 cents Young man, I should charge you for my bent frame a total two dollars and ninety cents. Well, here you are, Leroy. Thank you, Uncle. You're welcome. Sometimes when I see how you itemize every little household charge, I wonder if it was smart to teach you about business. Other times, I wonder if it was necessary. Well, I guess I'll go to bed now. Goodbye, Marjorie. What? I I mean, good night. Good night, Bertie. Good night. Good night, Uncle Mort. Oh, uh, well, just a second, Leroy. Come back here, young man. Let me see your tongue. Loki. Yes. Oh, seems all right. Are you feeling well? Oh, yes, sure, swell. Can I go to bed now? I guess so. Good night, my boy. Well, then, good night, Unc. Good night, Marge. Good night. Good night, Bertie. Good, yeah, good night, my boy. What's the trouble, Uncle Mort? Is that clock right? Yes. Something's wrong, either with the clock or Leroy. This is the first time in a year that he's gone to bed when he was supposed to without any arguments. I tell you, Marjorie, I don't like it. <laughs> Bertie, good morning. Uh, isn't Leroy up yet? No, sir, Mr. Gillsleeve. I ain't seen hiding or have him this morning. Oh, well, it's time he was up for school. I better call him. Yeah, Leroy! Uh, that's funny. Uh, still asleep, the little rascal. Hey, come on, Leroy, get out of the hay before... Uh, where is he? Ooh, a note to Uncle Mort. Uh, Marjorie! What is it, Uncle Mort? Come in here. Leroy's gone and left a note. Listen, uh, dear Uncle Morton Marjorie, I don't want you two to worry, but I'm going away for a while. What? I just couldn't stand it here any longer. Please don't worry about me because I'll be all right. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I'll take care of myself and write you soon, so be sure and don't worry. Also tell Bertie not to worry either. Yours truly, Leroy. Uh, P.S. Please feed my frogs while I'm gone. (laughs) Uh, P.S. number two. The frogs like flies. Uncle Morton. What's going to happen? Now, stop that, Marjorie. You mustn't cry. We'll have him back safe and sound in no time. There's nothing to worry about. How do you know? It says so right here in his letter. Excuse me, but i got breakfast waiting. Where's Leroy? Oh, Bertie. It looks like he's run away from home. Who, Leroy? Why, I don't believe it. It's just one of that boy's impractical jokes. Yes, I don't think so, Bertie. He left a note. 
There's no time to waste. We'd better start combing the town. Yes, it's a lucky thing he hasn't any money. He won't be able to get very... Oh, my goodness, he's got his allowance in $2.90. What about his school savings bank? Here it is, and look, it's been blitzkrieg. Huh? <laughs> oh, dear, that makes a lot of difference. It means he's got the means to go quite a distance. Oh, Uncle Maud, what are we going to do? Well, go right after him. Yes, but which way will we go? Yes, which way will we go? Well, if it was me, I'd head south. Bertie, quit complaining about the weather and try to be some help. <laughs> now, where will we start? Oh, poor Leroy, if we don't find him. Now, Marjorie, you mustn't get excited. You must be keep calm and cool. Uh, I mean, cool and calm. <laughs> I'll write down a few possibilities. This pencil won't write. That ain't no pencil. That's your cigar. Yeah? Well, then where's my pencil? You smoking it. Hey, let's not get excited now, folks. Let me think. Oh, I know. There's only one way to head off our wandering boy. What's that, Uncle Moore? We'll have to notify the police. The police? Yes. They can send out a teletype all over the state and pick up Leroy before you can say calling all cars. Oh, but I hate to think of Leroy winding up in some police station. Yeah, he might not like it if we had him heaved into pokey. Huh? I don't like it myself, but there's a lot worse places he might land. Well, there's no time to lose. Come on, Marjorie. I'd better phone right now and tell him our little boy, Blue. Dear. We only knew why he ran away. Oh, I tried to figure it out, Marjorie, but it's a complete mystery to me. I keep asking myself, Throckmorton, what could you have done that you could have made Leroy run away from home? And then I keep answering myself, I don't know. Well, here goes. Oh, I hope we can keep it out of the papers. Yes, stop being nervous, my dear. Just watch me. Uh, hello. Police Department, I wish to report a missing nephew. His name is Leroy Forrester. Yes. He's 13 years old, but he's tall for his size. I mean, he's old for his age. How tall? Oh, well, let me see. He comes to about up to here on me. Oh. <laughs> I forgot, officer. You can't see me, huh? I meant he comes up, up all to most of my shoulder. Yeah. How tall am I? What does that matter? I'm not lost. <laughs> Is that so? Now see here, mister. Uncle, now don't get so excited. Yeah. Here, give me the phone. Yeah. Hello, police. My brother left home early this morning. <laughs> Police department. Well, at last. We've been waiting around here on tenderhooks. No, no, tenderhooks. T-E-N, never mind. Have you found him? Yes. Yes? Oh, well, that's something anyway. Thank you. Goodbye. Have they found Leroy, Uncle Mort? Not exactly. They've located a bakery wagon driver who gave him a lift out of town this morning in three cream puffs. Which way was he going? Uh, west, on the Watertown Road. In fact, Leroy told the man he was headed for Watertown. And come on, Uncle Mort. That's why we're going. Yes. Maybe we can even find him before the police pick him up. Bertie, you stay here and answer the telephone in case the police or Leroy should call. Yes, and I'll keep my ear glued to the bell and you keep your eyes glued to the road. Yeah. Now, take your time, Uncle Mort. Don't rush, so. I'm not rushing. I'm just trying to keep up with you. Are you sure you know the way to Watertown, Uncle? Oh, yes. I could drive to Watertown with my eyes shut. Sometimes I think that's the way you do all your driving. You know, Uncle, this is the longest shortcut I've ever traveled on. You're right, Marjorie. And the next time you hear your Uncle Mort say, I know a shortcut, 
Please tap me on the skull with the nearest hammer. Oh, it isn't. It isn't your fault. You were only trying to save time getting to Leroy. Uh, oh, sorry. I can't understand this. This road was all right the last time I traveled on it. When was that? Uh, let me see. It was the year I bought my moon roadster. Well, no wonder the road's bad. Must be 15 years since my moon came over this mountain. <laughs> We should hit the Watertown Highway in another few minutes. Yes. And once we're on the main road, I'll show you. Oh! Oh! Oh, great jumping jeeps. Uh, hot tire. Oh. oh, dear. Look at that. A blowout. My last good tire, too. Will I remember Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Have you got a spare? A spare? Oh, yes. Here in the back. Better work fast if I want to get a change before dark, though. Yes. Now, where is that key? Oh, no, that's the one to my locker at the YMCA. Yeah, this one's for the padlock on my diary. Uh, could this one? No, no. This one doesn't fit. What's wrong, Uncle? I can't find the key to the rear compartment. <coughs> and it won't open. Yeah, I guess I'll have to break off the lock with a hammer. Oh, I hate to see you do that. Huh? Well, shut your eyes, because I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. You can't? No, I just remembered. The hammer's in the rear compartment with the tire. <laughs> oh, now what do we do? Could you use a rock instead of a hammer? A rock? Oh, of course. Should be one somewhere around here. Always is when you don't need one. Oh, I found one. How's this, Uncle Mort? Oh, splendid. Yeah, that rock looks like it's been through a lot, including Mrs. Uppington's window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, my dear. I wish Leroy wouldn't run away from home. It's kind of hard on my automobile. There. Now if I can pry up the lid. I've got it. Don't take me more than no palpitating priorities. Some scoundrel of a so-and-so stole my spare tire. Uh, Hello. Is this Slim's garage in Jacksonburg? Yeah, this is Slim speaking. Oh, well, my name is Gildersleeve, Slim. I'm calling from, uh, Marjorie. What's the name of this place? Joe Hogg's Hot Dogs. And good, too. If, uh, from Joe's Hot Dogs Good. I mean, uh, Hog Hog's Place on the Watertown Road. Yeah, I know where you are. What's your trouble? I had a blowout about two miles back on the shortcut from Summerfield. They told me here you might be able to fix me up with a used tire in the tube. What size tire do you use? Uh, 7 by 15. Loads are scarce, brother. If... Haven't you got one? No. I might be able to get you one somewhere here in Jacksonburg, but not till tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. That means I'll have to get somebody to drive me to Watertown tonight. It, what'll I do about my car? I'll send out and have it towed in here and try and get your tire in the morning. Uh, towed in. Oh, that's fine. Well, I'll be coming back by way of Jacksonburg tomorrow, I hope. Uh, see you then. Goodbye. Oh, Marjorie, have you got that small change ready for me? Here you are, Mark. Oh, thanks. Hello, operator? Yeah? Oh, well, you've got that Summerfield number, huh? Oh, thanks. How much is it? Eh, all right, here it goes. Eh, bells, even. A Gildersleeve, Preston. Oh, hello, Bertie. Uh, this is Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, yeah, did you catch up with Leroy yet? Uh, no, Bertie, we've had a blowout. Oh, that's bad. Yes, and somebody stole our spare tire. That's bad. It... <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about using that jalopy of yours? That's baddest of all. Huh? <laughs> uh, but, Bertie, can't, we can't get another tire until morning. Uh, couldn't you drive out here so we could continue to Watertown in that little, little car of yours? Well, that's purely problematical. I'm willing to take a chance. It appeals to my sporting 
instincts. It... What do you mean, Bertie? Well, this heap of mine is strictly ultra knock, non break, long clutched, and anti-hill climbing. Well, take it easy, Bertie, but hurry up. Okay, okay. Where are you? Uh, we're at a hot dog stand called Hogs Inn. About ten miles this side of Jacksonburg. I'll be there fast as I can. Oh, come to think about it, I know a shortcut. Good. No, no, no. Not the shortcut. Go the long way around. It's much quicker. Bertie, who did you buy this car from? Rochester? No, sir. My pappy gave me this car. He bought it down about the time Mr. Roosevelt was elected. I bet it was Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that, Marjorie. It certainly is a rough rider. Uh, please don't drive so fast. Please don't drive so fast, Mr. Gillsleeve. When you goes over 30 miles an hour, the windshield has a tendency to slip down into the driver's lap. Well, uh, what does it do at 40? It don't do 40. <laughs> and don't blow the horn, because that blows the light. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we don't go any faster than this, Leroy will have time to raise a beard, and we'll never recognize him. Yeah. The only way we can get there any faster is to get out of this thing and walk. We're doing all right. Look, this seems to be a city we're coming into. You think it might be Watertown? Oh, no, pretty. Watertown's still 100 miles away. This must be Jacksonburg. Why, it's taken us half an hour to travel ten miles. Slow down, Uncle Mort. There seems to be a wreck up ahead. Can't be any worse than this one we're in. <laughs> Why, George, you're right, Marjorie. Say, look at that truck on the wrong side of the street. Yeah, and there's a car turned upside down. Oh. Careful of the crowd, Uncle. You better go slower. I am. You just don't notice the change, my dear. <laughs> well, there's one fellow who won't have to worry about tires anymore. Uh, tires. Maybe I better stop. What's wrong, Uncle Mort? Nothing. That car is the same model as mine. I can use those tires. Hey, come on, let's find out. Yeah. Excuse me. Can I squeeze through, please? Oh. I just barely did. Thank you. Pardon me, mister. Come on, Marjorie. Yeah. Well, by George, this is lucky. I was right. Those tires are 7 by 15. They are? Yes. The rest of the car is so badly smashed up, I'll bet the owner will sell me one or two. Well, you better find him quick. That tow car might haul it away any minute. Oh, the tow car, oh, yes. Uh, I wonder who the owner is. No, 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 it was all the truck driver's fault. You don't have to take my word for it. Look at the skid marks. Huh? Oh, oh say, that must be the owner, Marjorie. Now, you two wait here. This is my golden opportunity. Uh-huh. Well, I would make my blood water when I think of it. A big truck like that zooming down a hill. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, sir. Uh, but could I talk privately to you for a moment? Oh, me? Yeah. Sure, sure. Come on over here. Oh, thanks very much. Now, what is it, friend? Uh, look, mister, your car is wrecked. But, uh... The only thing worth salvaging are a couple of the tires. But... I need tires like that. But... Uh, you undoubtedly need money. Yeah, but... Uh, how much do you want for the two best tires? Oh, me? Yes, you, brother. How about $15 for the pair of them? Now, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> that was just a feeler, bud. Uh, $20? $20, huh? What's the most you'll pay? $25, but $30 is positively as high as I'll go. Okay, give me the 30. Well, all right, here you are. Uh, 10, 20, 25, 30. Now, suppose you take them off. I want the right front and the left rear. No, no. They're your tires now. You take them off. Huh? Yeah, I got a phone call to make. So long, mister, and thanks. Uh, you're welcome, indeed. Oh, Marjorie, Bertie. Yes, Uncle I made a deal with the owner of that wreck for two tires. We'll take them to Slim's garage and put them on my car. Okay, I'll get the tire tools out of my car. Yeah, come on, Marjorie. I want to show you what I bought. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, young man. It... Pardon me, sir. 
Aren't we lucky to find a wreck with the right size tires, Uncle Moore? Yes. Well, here they are. Not exactly new, but worth their weight in sugar these days. Uh, here he is, Mr. Gillsleeve. Now, be careful and don't break this wrench. Yeah, I won't. Because it's a very important tool. Huh? I not only uses it to change tires, but also as the final and conclusive argument in traffic disputes. Ooh. Yeah, I understand. I never took a tire off a car that was upside down before, though. This one's a little tough. Hold the wheel, Bertie. You hold the wheel and I'll unscrew the lug. Oh, well, all right. I guess holding the wheel is the harder job of the two anyway. Here. Can I help you, Uncle Moore? Uh, no, no. Bertie and I have it, haven't we, Bertie? Yes, sir. Yeah. Now be careful, Uncle, or you'll get your fingers dirty. Yeah. yeah, who said that? Don't pay any attention, Uncle Moore. Just some fresh fellow. Yeah, by George. If, if I was sure which one popped off, I'd pop him. Here, here, Bertie. Let me do that. Boy, I got them all off already. Huh? Now, you just help me lift it down. Yes, of course. Here we go. Uh, what are you going to do now, Uncle? Go hook rolling? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you see who said that, Marjorie? Oh, never mind those street corner loafers, Uncle Moore. All right. No, no, Bertie. I'll take the other one off myself. Uh, give me that tire wrench. Uh, thanks. If there are any more remarks from the gallery, I'm going to unscrew a loose nut or two. <laughs> What's the matter, boys? Cat got your tongues? Come on, Uncle Moore. We've got to hurry. Yes. Oh, of course. Hey, wait a minute. What do you think you're doing, buddy? Oh, hello, officer. I had a blowout this evening and no spare tire, and I happened to come across this wreck here that had the same size tires. Well, wasn't I lucky? I'll say you was, until I arrived. If, what have you got to do with it? Well, if you aren't the nerviest car stripper I ever seen. Nerviest car stripper I ever saw, officer. <laughs> What do you mean, I'm a car stripper? As if you didn't know. Standing there with your face, the picture of innocence framed in a stolen tire. Stolen? I bought these tires from the owner of this car. I've got witnesses. Uh, you boys saw me paying them, didn't you boys? Well, I saw you talking to some guy, but he wasn't the owner of that car. Uh, how do you know he wasn't? Because he ran out of the pool room with the rest of us when we heard the crash. Oh, what? Uh, do you mean that I was taken in? You weren't, buddy, but you're gonna be. Come on with me. Take your hands off of me, copper. I'll hammer you into an ashtray. No, 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 Uncle Moore. <laughs> oh, Marjorie, you and Bertie had better drive on to Watertown and keep a sharp lookout for Leroy. I think I'm going to be detained here. All right, if you think that's best. Yeah. Come on, buddy. We're going to join the station wagon set. The station? What do you mean? I'm going to phone the station to send over the wagon, and then we'll be all set. <laughs> Innocent as a child, eh? I suppose you were just using those tires as teething rings. Yes. Sergeant, I bought those two tires. I paid for them. What's the use of trying to convince a numbskull, fuzzy-brained, flatfoot? Uh, are you insinuating that I'm a, a flatfoot? If the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> I don't want to hang around this crook's coop any longer. I want some action. Okay, you're going to get it. For tonight, I'm going to put you in a nice room where no nasty tires can come in and run off with you. If you mean in the cell? No. All our cells are full. I'm putting you in a detention room. What's the difference between that and the cell? We put curtains over the bars. Yeah. You can't do this to me. Who do you think I am? A common criminal? Yes. Now, shut up. What's your name? Uh, my name. What's my... Oh, yeah. Let me see. M-E-C. Huh? Last name S-E-E. Huh? Oh, yes. That's right. Dumbbell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lem-E-C. Yeah. The E stands for Elmer. Okay, see. 
Oh, Casey. Yeah? Put C in the detention room. Okay. And you, mister? Uh, C is the name. Ah, don't think you're fooling anybody giving me a phony name like Lemme C. Huh? I know it's an alias. Now run along. This way, buddy. Come on. Oh. We're just sticking you in here till you decide to come clean with us. I have come clean. And by George, before I'm through with you, you're going to be washed up. In you go. Hey, kid, you got company. Uh, hello, young man. Uh, Leroy. Uncle Mark. Gee, I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad to see you too, my boy, but not here. Why? <laughs> Why, you must have had a lot of pull with the police to get in to visit me. Oh, I forgot you were the one who told them to pick me up. Yes, Leroy. We just couldn't let you run away from home like that. And this was the quickest way to get in touch with you. Well, let's get out of here and go home. Yes, let's get out of here. Oh, Leroy. I'm afraid we can't do that for a little while. Well, why not, Uncle? I'll explain later. Meanwhile, young man, I want to, I want you to tell me why you ran away from home. Oh, gee, Uncle Mort. All I was going to do was enlist in the Navy. You in the Navy? Leroy, you're just 13 years old. Well, sure, but I'm awfully big for my age. Yeah. And if I went to Watertown or someplace where nobody knows me, I bet I could get in. But why? In your note, you said you couldn't stand it any longer. If, were you unhappy at home, Leroy? No, it's just that I can't stand around doing nothing while our country's at war. I want to do my share. Well, that's a wonderful spirit, my boy. It makes me proud of you. But Uncle Sam can't use boys your age in the Navy. Oh, but I can work hard. I want to be in there. Oh, you just don't understand. I do understand, my boy. You think it's easy for me to watch younger men go off to fight our battles while I have to stay behind? Here we are. You're too young and I'm too old. But we each have a job to do. Every one of us. From the president to the boy in the school, Leroy. But gee, Uncle Moore, right now school seems awfully trivial. Leroy, it's the millions of trivial things. Well done. It's going to win this war for us. Like the farmer who grows more food, and the factory hand who produces more equipment, and the housewife who makes everything go a little farther, even the children who gather up waste paper and scrap iron, and all of us who buy bonds and contribute our time and money and prayers and inspiration. We're all in the Army, Leroy, the Army that stands back of our soldiers and our sailors and our flyers. And the better we do our job, the sooner they're going to finish theirs. I've been awake all night, Leroy. This mattress must be stuffed with old prisoners. <laughs> and Leroy, stop calling me Unc. I don't want it ever known that Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve spent the night in the calaboose suspected of highway robbery. Gee, we're both in a spot. Huh? You can't get out till you can prove you paid for those tires, and I can't get out till you can prove you're you. Uh, huh? Oh. Well, maybe they'll let me call Judge Hooker. If they do, uh, shh, we're about to have a visitor. Okay, kid, come on. And bring your things. Your sister's outside to take you home. Gee, thanks. Well, so long, uh, uh, mister. Huh? I'll do everything I can to help you get free. Oh, thank you, Sonny. Yep, wait a minute. Don't close that door, officer. I demand to see the desk sergeant. What, again? Oh, all right. But this is the last time, see? Yes, they can't keep me here unless I'm charged. I know my rights. I didn't study commercial law in night school two years for nothing. Yes, this is in the chief's office over there. Oh, hey, go ahead, Sonny. I'm going to talk to Sergeant. Hey, Sarge, he wants to see you again. What is it this time, Sergeant? 
Either you release me at once or I'm going to sue you and Casey and the chief of police and the whole town of Jacksonburg for a million dollars apiece. Now, calm down, Mr. C. Uh, I tried to trace the ownership of that car you stripped, and the garage man who's got it now can't find the owner to sign a complaint against you. Oh, why should he? He got his tires back, and I went out. Well, under the circumstances, I guess we'll have to release you. Well, that's better. And a lucky thing for you, too. Now, you see here, mister, if anybody's lucky, it's you. You're awfully lucky that guy ain't here to prosecute you. What guy are you talking about? The owner of that wrecked car. A fellow from Summerfield by the name of Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Sorry, folks, our time's up. Good night. (laughs) Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This program came to you from Hollywood. Stay tuned for X-1 next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. How about a bit of sci-fi theater? We've got it with the program X-1. Countdown for blastoff. X-5, 4, 3, 2, X-1, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot, by Isaac Asimov. We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us coming home as passengers aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the Second Interstellar War, the one between Earth and the planet Chloro. And then it happened. Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a Chloran battlecruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the Chloran cruiser. The murderous running duel of energy blasts and force field defenses. We huddled in the passenger's after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. 
We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then... Now what? Uh, the beginning of the end, you might call it. Well, what does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But, Monsieur, All right, don't we... worry. They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. If they choose to fight, they'll... Now, they're coming aboard. Now, be very still. Oh, mother in heaven, help Would us. You be still. If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't let them die. You can't help them. I'm going. How does this stop him? All right. Aristide. Shut the door quickly. Aristide, my brother. That poor fool. I'll get them. My brother, I swear to God, get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. The brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts. I ought to strangle you. Why not save it for the chloros? I will. I promise you I will. They're probably deciding right now what to do with us. We might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us and listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarchitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Poly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc, a sensitive, frightened young man of 22, and Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper, a mild, balding, milk-toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It is quiet now. Yeah, they finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloros will stay aboard? Uh, two is all they'll need. <laughs> Why, Colonel? You're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Well, simply a point of information, dash it. All right, then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door. It smells like gas. Yeah, it is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole cruise compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. They'll just forget about rushing the chloros. How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived on a chloro planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these... Artoplasm things inoperated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again. Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they will they kill us? No. Why do you say that? Because in their own way they're gentlemen. Probably we'll be 
in turn for the duration. You call them gentlemen. After they kill my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen. You know, Stuart, you sound more and more like a blasted greenie sympathizer. Blasted, man. Where's your patriotism and loyalty? My loyalty is where it belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten oh, greeny... Holy... Mullen, Mullen, grab him. I can't break his hold. They are coming in. Holy, let him go. They saved your life this time. But the name finished with them. What? I think they're opening the lock. Well, don't get between us. Holy, don't lose your head. They'll kill us all. Chloro was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to him. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a spacesuit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchitis' eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro. something for Mr. Polyarchides? Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. Yes. Bye, Polly. Can you hear me, you stupid brute? His voice is coming back. Now, I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. You think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know... The chloros, the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. And if one of us did any harm to another, they'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts, a non-functioning group. So call all the names you want. But keep your hands to yourself or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. 
Polyarchitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. It was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non-entity. A mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush. How long did you say the trip would take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the chloro said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some, some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros. The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh, but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only look, two. Before I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is a way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. LeBlanc? I... I have a wife waiting on Earth, Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die. Uh Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about you, Mullen? I don't see how we could accomplish it without... Uh Hero number two. Well, Paul Yerkitis... When I kill Glorus, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Ah, uh-huh, three down. Well, Colonel, don't you want to march to glory, an old militiaman like you? Your attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stuart. I see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero. Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? This compartment has a sea chute. It must. What is a a, a sea chute? A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse. Burial in space. Oh, blasted Mullen, uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen, what do you know about steam tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper. Well, on Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I, I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. And the chloros, they are in the control room. Uh, what do you think, Stuart? Well, it's a video sort of idea, but it might just work. We could get permission from the chloros to open the sea chute and bury Paulie's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tube. The question being, which one? What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Paulie. I've already said that. My object is to stay alive. The steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be broiled like a lobster. Well, how about the colonel here? If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial hands. Well, now, what unfortunate deformities do the rest of us have? Paulie? You just keep talking, Mr. Big Mouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in. Of course, that's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, will you do it? I... I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I I cannot... LeBlanc needn't go. I'll do it. What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes. Well, how... I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it... 
It seems no one else will do it. But that's no reason, man. I can't think of any other. Uh, look here. Do you really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an earthman by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel pupped his hand. Polyakita seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. What is it, Earthman? One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No. Nothing else. Thank you. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mulling, get into a space suit from the emergency locker. Paulie, help Mom with those magnetic boots. I'm working as fast as I can. The arm. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet. Okay. Now, Mullen, you better scratch your nose if you have to. It's your last chance for a while. What about radio contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits. The chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Dash it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded. No, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, give him one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen, if your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. Mm-hmm. See that? Now, you can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand? Uh, I think so. Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means they've opened the lock. Here. Now, can you hear me? Oh, LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes. Here. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen? I hear you. Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh-huh. Polly, open the sea chute. Okay, now help him in. Are ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Pull the ejector valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The chloros have closed the chute lock. I... I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think, uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. I just don't know. Should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio? Yes, I think. Wait a minute. What is it? Listen, the chloro's coming. Good Lord. He's sure to miss Mullen. Yeah, wait. Polly, get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Polly, for heaven's sake. My brother. Right, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and Very rescue well. I will do it. Yes. Do 
body? Yes. Good. Is there something further we can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone. I will respect your wishes. I see that one of your units sleeps already. Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Oh, brother. Holy, I thought sure you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess... I guess I've been saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. <clears throat> you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship. All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes? I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when I get inside. Be careful. I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs they use to repair the inside. And we'll keep in contact. I'm in the tube now. Good Lord. They've let go with a blast. Well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen. Still here. (sighs) They used the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for over-deflection... Yeah, keep moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small metal door there. Can you feel it? Yes, I... I'm afraid it's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it. Mullen... Well, and listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now, aim for the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. Will you do that? Uh, I'll try. Well, now, go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now start banging. Any luck? No, I... Wait, I I hear something. Something's opening the lock. The door now. I hear... Ah! Mullen! Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me? Mullen! No use. I must have gotten him. Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one. But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean, maybe he's not dead. Well? Well, then maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the claw. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I... I would be willing to take the chance. You? Why not? I could try. Not you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now, listen. Listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute. What's going on here? 
20 minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other. Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh? Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough. Ready? Ready. Ready. Here goes. That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh. It's at the door. Get ready. It's opening the lock. For poor old Mullen now. Uh, steady. No! Let him have it! Wait! Stop it! Uh, it's not the tomorrow! Wait! Good Lord, it's Mullen. Get, get, get the helmet off. That's it. I right, lift. Mullen? Mullen, are you all right? I, I seem to be quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. Well, what happened? Well, I banged on the steam tube hatch and a chloro opened it. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. It must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I, I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. Uh -huh. So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison. Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I, I, Mullen, what is it? <laughs> Mullen. <laughs> An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative, or so I thought until the cabin door opened. Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed. No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? Oh, no, not at all. Sit down. You know, I guess, uh, I owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. <laughs> no, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another. For years now, I've abandoned hope of finding any decency in human beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I, I didn't do it for any heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. But why did you do it, Mullen? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. 
And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years. Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, haven't you ever been homesick? You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp, a story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Isaac Asimov, and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ocko, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCord. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Next week on a distant planet in a forgotten colony of Earth, a man is ordered to commit a murder. Listen to Skulking Permit on X-1 next week. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be here with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.